are concluding our series, American Idols. And over the last few weeks, we've seen that there's a lot of different idols that, that we bow down to. Now, I will say that most of us, we don't bow down to little statues or little, you know, little, little tiny icons or whatever it might be, but we do have different idols that a lot of us struggle with in our lives. We've talked about there's some of us who bow down to the, the, God, of, the God of sex and the God of success, but today we're going to be looking at one of the idols that many of us bow down to, whether we recognize it or not, and that is the God of love. Now, when I talk about love, you know, I know that typically what we'll think is, well, what can be wrong with love? Love's a good thing. I mean, how can anything be wrong with that? Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. Uh, one of the commands, one of the big commands that Jesus gave us is that we are to love one another. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 22, Jesus says if you take all of the law and the prophets and you just sort of smash them all together, it comes down to two basic simple rules, and that is that you are to love God and that you are to love people. So whenever we talk about the God of love as an idol, we think, well, how in the world could that be an idol? Well, whenever it becomes, whenever we begin to focus on romantic love as though it were the, the be-all, end-all of life, that's where we can get into trouble. Uh, that's where we can find ourselves bowing down and worshiping this God of love. Um, there's a lot of people who idolize love. I mean, in the music industry, love is obviously a major topic. Uh, you might remember a, a number of years ago, Robert Palmer. Y'all remember that song that he had, Addicted to Love? Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, James is going to be doing that one next week. And then uh, there's, uh, the Beatles had a song that said, All You Need Is Love. And so love and music, it is something that's idolized. Uh, in literature, it's idolized. I know that probably one of, the, uh, one of the most important pieces of literature that there is is that Harlequin romance novels, right? Uh, they sell one book every five and a half seconds. Isn't that unbelievable? Now, that's, uh, uh, that, that is an example of how people are just absolutely drawn to the idea of love. But it can become an idol. And in the book, Gods at War, Kyle Eidelman wrote this. He said, romantic love, it's a good thing. He said, but when we make it essential to life, then it can become a false god. When we put our hope in romantic love and sacrifice so much for it, you have to ask if this beautiful gift from God has actually replaced him. And when that happens, the ending is very rarely happily ever after. Okay, you might say, well then where are we going with this whole idea of love being a God? Well, there's a passage of scripture that actually speaks of a guy who was in love with the idea of love and it caused him some problems. And so if you're uh, interested, if you have your Bible with you, you can look with me in Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to look in verse number 13 today. And so the great thing about the book of Genesis, it's real easy to find. If you've got your Bible, it's the very first book. So Genesis 29, we're going to look in verse 13. It's a story of a guy named Jacob. Now, are you all familiar, familiar with the guy named Jacob in the Bible? You remember his brother's name? All right, Esau. Yes, there's somebody else that was in here that went to train in union as a kid. So yeah, so Jacob and Esau. Now Jacob was a guy in this passage of scripture. He's been sent on a journey in order to find a wife. Nothing wrong with having a wife. It's a good thing. It was time for him at this point in his life for him to be getting married. But what we see in this story is how his idolizing love led down to a dangerous path for him. 
And so it's my hope that we're going to be able to learn from his mistakes that he made with idolizing love. And so we're going to see some of this in Genesis chapter 29 in verse number 13 in a few moments. But just a little background information. Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. Esau was the oldest brother. Now here's the thing that's interesting about it. The brothers, they were not identical twins. They, they were different. What do you call them? Fraternal twins? Uh, they were fraternal twins. The mother, she, she had a real special attachment to Jacob. As a matter of fact, I think we could say that she loved Jacob more than Esau. And she loved him so much, she saw so much potential in him, that she wanted the younger son to receive the blessing of the father over Esau. Now, I know for us, I know for me, I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what that means. What's the big deal about that? Well, in this culture, that was, that was big time. I mean, that, that meant a whole lot. If a son received the blessing from the father, it meant something in many different ways. It meant something economically. As a matter of fact, when the dad would die, then the son who received the blessing would become the leader of the household. Uh, not only that, but he would be one who would receive a double portion of his father's inheritance. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that the one who got the blessing would get twice as much in the inheritance as his brother. Okay, so this is a big deal. And so what happened? Well, uh, Jacob's mom tried to, tried to finagle it to where the younger son would receive the blessing, where they could cheat Esau out of what was supposed to be his. Now, they didn't have to do this because God had already said, he'd already told Jacob's mother before the boys were ever born, he had told her, he said, listen, your younger son is going to be the leader of the family. But she didn't trust it. She tried to take matters into her own hand. This is what God told her in Genesis 25. He said, two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. But instead of her trusting God, and instead of Jacob trusting God's word, they took matters into their own hands. And so what happened from all of this? Well, they, came to, they began to travel down this path. And instead of trusting in God and trusting in the love of God, Jacob became a man who began to seek after love from other people to bring satisfaction and joy into his life. He romanticized, he idolized love, and it got him into trouble. And so I just want to point out in this story that we're going to look at today, a few mistakes that Jacob made with love. And the very first mistake that Jacob made with love is in his love, he was motivated by sight. Uh, where he got himself into trouble with love is his motivation for love was sight. Now I want you to look with me in verse number 13. It says, when, Jacob, or when Laban heard the news about his sister's son Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then he took him to his house, and Jacob told him all that had happened. And Laban said to him, yes, you're my own flesh and blood. And after Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the, the younger was named Rachel. And Leah had delicate eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, and so he answered Laban, I'll work for you for seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. And Laban replied, Better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me. And so Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. 
Okay, now in the preceding verses, we, get, we find out why he is looking for a wife. And uh, Jacob's mother sent her son to this land known as Paddan Aram. And she said, listen, I want you to go to where I'm from. It was her hometown, so I want you to go there, find yourself a wife, because the women around where we're living right now, they are not good enough for you. Sounds like a mother, doesn't it? Say, these people here, no good. Go where I'm from. Go to my people. Find yourself a wife. Because the people around here, they don't think like we do. They don't have the same values that we do. Go back to the land where I'm from, and you can get yourself a wife. That sounds pretty good. But here's the interesting thing about this. Pat and Aram, where they were living, which was in Israel, also known as Canaan, it was a 500-mile journey to this area. Okay, you didn't drive a car. Um, whenever you went there, you walked, or maybe ride a camel. So it is a long journey. So after this journey that would have taken him months to get there, he comes to a well, this is preceding the verses I just read, and he just happens to run into his uncle's servants, and there's his, his cousin, who happens to be pretty attractive, standing over there at the well, and we're told that when Jacob saw them, he began to weep loudly. If I'd been walking for 500 miles... I would have been weeping loudly as well. And so he, he walks there, he sees relatives, he sees this woman, and he's like, thank God I have found my wife. How did he know this? Well, it wasn't because he looked at her and thought, man, she's just got a radiant personality. It's not because he looked at her and thought, I can just tell she's a godly woman. Uh, what was it? Well, she was, she was good looking. She was attractive. Now Laban, the Bible says he had two daughters. One was named Leah, and the other was Rachel. Now if you look in your Bible, if you have your Bible, how does it describe Leah's eyes? Her eyes were what? They were, they were delicate. There's some versions that say they were weak. What does all this mean? There's a lot of different ideas here, but basically what it means is that she was, a, she was, just, she was an ordinary person. An ordinary woman. Okay, then you look at Rachel. How does it describe Rachel? It says she was shapely. I don't know what that means. Uh, but I think what it means is that she was attractive. And so when Jacob saw her, what does Jacob do? He says, I will work for you for seven years if you'll make that one right there my wife. Now, isn't that crazy what love can do to people? Well, it just makes you say sometimes the dumbest things, right? I will, I will enslave myself to you for seven years if I can have her as my wife. When you have romantic love, there are so many sacrifices that you are willing to make. There are so many things that you are willing to do. People do all kinds of crazy things when they see something that they like. Have, have you heard this, this statement before that their, um, their eyes were bigger than their stomach? You heard that before? Uh, well, here it was his eyes were bigger than his brain. Uh, I, I read, and I read this, I read that ostriches, their eyes, they really are bigger than their brains. And that, and that, I just think, for me, that just struck me as funny. So I thought I'd tell you all that. An ostrich's eyes are bigger than his brain. So what does that mean? Now, typically what I think it means is if your eyes are bigger than your brain, then you're going to go with what you see as opposed to what your brain is telling you. And I, I see this happen all the time with people. When they, when they, you know, when they see something they like, then they just go absolutely nuts. They'll see a, a person who is attractive. I don't care that they've been in prison for the last 18 years. They are good looking, and I want that person. And I'm like, man, you have just absolutely ignored all kinds of common sense here. 
Now, now basing your decisions off of sight as opposed to knowledge is never a good thing because there's always more to things than just meets the eye. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 John 2.16, For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Jacob saw a woman that he wanted, and he told Laban, he said, I will give you seven years of my life if I can have her. Now, there is a reason why he said he would work for Laban. And there is a thing that is known as a bride price. If you wanted to get married, you had to, you had to give some, some kind of compensation to the father for his daughter. Now, as a father, I'm thinking, that sounds like a really good idea. But what Jacob was doing, Jacob was jumping into a relationship that was to last for a lifetime based solely on sight. And whenever you read the story of Jacob, what you begin to discover is he encountered heartache. He encountered difficulty in his life and in his marriage with Rachel because the foundation at the beginning was set on sight and not upon God. You know, guys, just because something looks good doesn't mean that it is good. doesn't mean that's always the best thing for you. And what I see is that Jake was a man who made mistakes with love. And the very first mistake that he made with love is he was motivated by sight. But there was another mistake that he made with love, and that is he was deceived by lust. Now, the mistake that he made in love is that he allowed himself to be, de be deceived by lust. And, and you can see this in verse 21. It says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed. I want to sleep with her. And so Laban invited all the men of the place to a feast. And that evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. And Laban gave his daughter Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her slave. And when morning came, there was Leah. So he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this story. I have always read the story and thought, how in the world could something like that happen? Absolutely crazy. Now, before, one of the most romantic verses in all of the Bible is verse number 20. In verse 20, it says, So Jacob worked for seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That's pretty good. I mean, he worked for seven years. He said, you know what? I love you so much. It just seemed like just a few days. And this is a guy that is absolutely smitten. But probably the most unromantic verse in the Bible is the very next one. Verse 21. It says, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my time is completed. I want to sleep with her. Y'all, that is not Hallmark card material right there. Now, Jacob was ready to get his wife now. His eagerness for the moment made him pray for deception. And so then you look at the story, what happened? Well, Laban, who's a tricky old guy, he slipped Leah into the wedding instead of Rachel, and Jacob ends up marrying Leah. And, I'm, and that's still, I look at that and I think, there is no way that happens. Well, there's a custom thing that's going on here. Whenever they would get married, the woman would have been heavily veiled. And so it would have been easy for him not to see her. 
So that's one thing. Now you might say, well, what about whenever they went into the bedroom? Well, it was dark. But here's the one I think is probably more likely. They're at a feast. They're at a party. My guess is that Laban knew what was going on, and so he began to ply his son with as much drink as he could so that he was inebriated. Now, guys, that is exactly what lust does. Very simply put, lust makes people stupid. Lust and desire so clouds our vision that it blinds us to the truth and the consequences of our actions. Jacob was so intent on getting what he wanted that he was blinded by his desire. You know, one of the greatest desires of Americans is to, is to be in shape. It's to lose weight. I saw a study that said at any, at any time, 20% of Americans, the entire American population, will say that they are on a diet. And in order to lose weight, sometimes we're going we're gonna to do whatever we can to lose weight. I, I read about some of, the, some of the stranger diets that are out there. One is called the cotton ball diet. I don't know if y'all have heard of this one before. I don't recommend it. Uh, they take cotton balls, and they will dip them in orange juice and then eat the cotton ball. Uh, now, it's very low calorie, uh, and it makes you feel full. The problem with it is that cotton balls were not meant to go into your you know, digestive system, and so it messes up your stomach. Now, you're going to lose weight, but it's going to mess up your stomach. There's another diet uh, that is called the tapeworm diet. You, you heard me correctly. It's the tapeworm diet. Um, that's a, another real popular one. Uh, so you can swallow a tapeworm, and then it, when it goes down into your stomach, it will eat the nutrients of the food that you eat, so you will lose weight. Now, there's some, there's some negatives to this. <laughs> I'm sure you can think of a couple. One's you have a tapeworm in you. Uh, they can grow up to 30 feet, which is crazy, and uh, it can, that can also make you very sick, and it can also end up taking your life. And I, and I read those diets, and I thought, there is no way somebody would actually do this. I mean, why would anybody be so dumb as to do something that is so obviously not right? Well, I look at Jacob. I look at people that I know. And I say the exact same thing could be said about lust. I've seen guys who've given up their careers and their families for a fling. I've seen people who've, had, uh, who've been willing to sacrifice their relationship with their children to give up their careers for a one-night stand. It's like their body or their mind went into lockdown and their body took control and they began to make bad decisions. And the end result is that deception end up in, ends up entrapping you. Now, now, Jacob was bent on getting what he wanted and he wasn't able to recognize the deception when it came his way. He didn't recognize that his bride was not Rachel. And what was the result? He ended up with something he never wanted. And more than likely, he was pursuing something he probably shouldn't have had. So what, what were the mistakes that Jacob made with love? Because he idolized it, y'all, he was, he was motivated by sight. Because of that, he was deceived by lust. That's the last mistake I see that he made with love. And that is that he ended up being enslaved by his desire. His desire enslaved him. It didn't give him freedom, didn't give him joy, it enslaved him. Now look in verse number 26. It said, Laban answered, it's not the custom in this place to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete this week of wedding celebration and we'll also give you the younger one in return for working yet another seven years for me. And Jacob did just that. He finished the week of celebration and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. 
And Laban gave a slave Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her slave. And Jacob slept with Rachel also. And indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, there's nothing wrong with desire. Desire is something that's normal. And we, you know, we, we desire you know, food, shelter, protection, love. All those things can be good things. But where we get into trouble is whenever our desire is rooted in the wrong place. And Peter talked about this in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 2.11, he said, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. There's a couple things I'd like for you to notice about that verse. Uh, Peter refers to followers of God as strangers and temporary residents. Now what does that mean? It means that in this life, The life we are living right now, we're just passing through. This world right now is not our final hope. This this place where we are living right now, it is not our final home. It's not our final resting place. And so if that's the case, then one thing that you and I don't want to do is we don't want to place all of our investment, place all of our marbles in the things of this world because this, this place right here, it is not our home. You know, a few weeks ago, Emily and I, were we, we, we went to Israel for 10 days. Now, when we went to Israel, did we go house shopping to try to buy a house while we lived over there for those 10 days? That doesn't make sense. We wouldn't do that. It would be wasting money. We were just simply passing through. So we didn't make an investment like that when we were over there. That would have been foolish. And Now, the other thing I want you to notice about that verse is what Peter said at the very end. He said, we are to abstain from fleshly desires that war against us. Now I look at that and I think, well, why? Well, it's because we're, we're just passing through in this life. And, and you don't want to get sidetracked by the things of this world so that you take your eyes off of your future home. Because if we do that, then what happens is we lose sight of our purpose. We lose sight of our mission. And to stop along the way and mess around with the stuff of this world over our final destination, that, that, it doesn't make sense. You know, we want to make sure that we stay on mission, that we stay on task, the plan that God has for our lives. Uh, there's a, a story I've told before, but it's, a, it's, just, it's an interesting story. It was two, two boats that were traveling down the Mississippi River in the 19th century. And as they were traveling down the, the, the river together, the sailors, they began to kind of talk back and forth, and they began to talk about which boat was better, which boat was faster. And so before they knew it, they, they get, they're in a race. And so they're trying to see which one can go faster. And one of the boats began to, began to drift behind the other boat, and they, they realized it's because they were running out of fuel. And so one of the enterprising young sailors, he fixed the problem. He went over and saw some cargo, and he picked it up, and he threw it into the, to the fire, and it caused the boat to pick up speed. And people started noticing they were catching up, so they started grabbing more cargo, and they were throwing it into the fire, and they ended up winning the race. The only problem was they won the race, but when they arrived at their destination, they had no cargo. They won, but they gave up everything that was truly important. And that is exactly what desire run amok will do. You can be so overwhelmed by it that you're willing to sacrifice everything just to get what you want. And then when you get what you want, you look back and realize, I have given up everything. Jacob desired Rachel. 
And his desire for her was so great that he lost sight of his purpose. The original intent for him going there was to get a wife and then to go back home. Why was he to go back home? Because God had promised that the land of Canaan was for his people. And God said, it is through you and your descendants that I will make you into a great nation. Instead, he lost sight of his purpose and he ended up having to stay for another seven years. Working to get Rachel. Now you might say, well man, it's Laban was a bad dude. He cheated him. That's not fair. Here's the fact of the matter. Is that Jacob was getting a taste of his own medicine. You remember what he did to his brother Esau? He did the exact same thing. And guys, that's what happens whenever we mess with desire. Whenever we begin to mess with our desires and make it the overarching thing that we're going to do in our lives... Ultimately, those desires will end up enslaving you. See, the desires of this world, don't, they will not satisfy us for a very simple reason. You know why? Because our desires in this world, they are temporary. They don't last. That's why I, I, I love Hebrews chapter 11. It is, it is the, the chapter of faith, the, the hall of faith in the Bible. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. It says, By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward. Now, now let me ask you this question. What is your attention on in this life? Where is your focus? What is it that you're trying to achieve in this life? Now, over and over again, we're told that the highest thing that we can, that we can have in this life is love. And y'all, I believe love is from God. The Bible says, again, that God is love. So there's nothing wrong with love. But whenever we begin to romanticize and idolize romantic love like it is the answer to all of the problems and all of the emptiness that we have in our lives, we are making a mistake. There is only one who will fill the void in your life and my life. And it's Jesus. Now God's given us the gift of love. But it's not to be worshipped. There's only one who's to be worshipped. It's Jesus. So in Matthew 6, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. You want the void in your life, in your heart to be filled. Seek Jesus first. And then what will happen? Jesus says, I will give you all these other things that will bring fulfillment into your life. Don't seek the other things first. You seek Jesus first and then trust that He is enough. Let me encourage you to do something. Let me encourage you and me to think long term. Think long term. Moses rejected the short-lived pleasures of sin because he was trusting in the promises of God. What is it that you worship? What is it that you idolize? We've gone through this series of messages. We've seen some different gods that we are bowing down to and worshiping. My challenge for, for me and for you is to examine your life. Say, are there any idols in my life? 
that I'm, that I'm putting before God? Are there any things in my life that I am hanging on to more than even my walk with God? If so, let them go. Let them go. And commit to Jesus that you're going to seek Him first. Thank you.